cockpit has caused enormous harm and cost. No longer. Today, we can announce that the National Crime Agency has successfully infiltrated and fundamentally disrupted Lockbit. They often work closely with Iraqi Kurdish gangs who control most small boat crossings from France. Kenyan officers are on a reconnaissance mission to Haiti following the country's offer to help the Asian National Police in their fight against gang violence. In Papua New Guinea's capital too, politicians and officials have been accused of being too close to the logging companies. The South American country of Ecuador is under a state of emergency because of widespread criminal violence. The president is calling it an internal armed conflict. A gold rush in Mali's northern region, led by armed groups. Al-Qaeda, ISIL fighters, and Tuareg rebels control artisanal mines. Welcome to The Index, a podcast by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. This series delves into the Global Organized Crime Index and takes a look at some of the biggest threats facing countries and regions around the world. My name is Thin Lai Wen, and in this episode of The Index, we're going to be discussing gold mining across the West African region. The size of the gold sector has increased over recent years, with new discoveries in countries like Mali joining the older, mature industries of Ghana. Indeed, four of the top five African exporters of gold are from this region, Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea and Ghana. But this is also a region bereft by political instability. There have been several recent coups, and extremist groups, foreign criminal actors and organized crime networks all operate here, and these groups often target the artisanal and small-scale miners. Levels of criminality across the region in non-renewable resource crimes, the category which illegal gold mining falls under, is high. On a scale of 1 to 10, Burkina Faso is at the top with a score of 8.5, and Mali is closely behind at 8. On the other hand, resilient levels across the region are low, particularly in Mali, at just 2.38 out of 10. Joining me for this conversation are two speakers from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime and co-authors on a recent paper titled Learnings from West Africa's Regional Experiences in the Gold Sector. There's analyst Gideon Ofusupisar and Marcena Hunter, thematic lead on extractives and illicit flows. Marcena, Gideon, welcome to the Index. Gideon, can I start with you first? Now, it might seem like a small difference, but there is the difference, right, between informal and illegal mining. Could you explain what it is and why it is important to differentiate between the two? Thank you very much. So in the area of um, illegal mining, usually mining activities are conducted without proper authorization, permits, or compliance with, let's say, environmental regulations and mining laws. They often involve trespassing of protected lands, um, operating in restricted areas, or extracting resources without the necessary licenses or permits from government authorities. They also include exploitation of minerals, and then it can have significant environmental, social, and then economic consequences. In many cases, illegal mining operations are carried out by individuals or organized criminal groups seeking to profit from the illicit extraction and sales of minerals. On the other hand, um, issues around informal mining usually operate within a legal gray area or lack of formal authorization, but they may not be 
necessarily illegal. So here we see mining operations may lack formal regulatory oversight and not that they do directly violate existing laws and regulations. So while informal mining may operate without um, formal permits or compliance with certain regulations, it may not necessarily be illegal, as I indicated. In some cases, informal miners may operate within a legal gray area um, due to the limited regulatory oversight or conflicting land tenure systems. So I think that a distinction between the two is very, very important. Thanks so much for that, Gideon. And you mentioned something around land tenure. I'll come back to you on that issue. But Marcena, can I turn to you next? Could you provide an overview of the artisanal and small-scale you know, mining sector? And why is it particularly vulnerable to criminal exploitation? As Gideon mentioned, there's a lot of gray area in between informality and criminality in the gold sector in West Africa, with a lot of mining occurring unlicensed. And what's actually happened is that as countries have strengthened their legal regulations, it's actually pushed a lot of mining from the informal sphere into the criminal or illegal sphere, making these miners more vulnerable to criminal exploitation. And so a lot of mining operations across West Africa are called artesian small-scale mining, which means they have low levels of mechanization. They use hand tools, low levels of formality, these sorts of things. And it's the same high levels of informality that makes the sector vulnerable to criminal exploitation because it's not well regulated for various reasons, whether it's mining takes place in remote locations that are difficult to reach or the government just doesn't have the capacity to regulate it well. And so the gold sector is especially attractive because it's easy to enter. It doesn't take much investment to extract a profit from the sector. And the sector is highly profitable. But beyond that, gold is also a financial vehicle. And so it enables actors to move illicit wealth between jurisdictions and to launder money. And so all of these factors come together to make the sector very attractive to criminal exploitation. Thanks for that. That sounds actually, you know, very concerning. Um, now let's move on to the people who are involved in these criminal markets. Could you provide examples of foreign criminal groups that are involved in coal mining in West Africa? And could you also tell what that involvement entailed? Yes, I think it's difficult to say when you have necessarily a defined group. But what we are seeing is a heavy presence of Chinese nationals in some countries. And this specific group is bringing in a lot of equipment and technology. This has included excavators, chemicals, that sort of thing which is contributing to the intensity of the mechanization and productivity of the sector, which in turn is increasing financial flows, economic and environmental harms, and increasing criminal risks in general just by making the sector that much more efficient. But also within the region itself, we're seeing a lot of migration between countries. So for example, cyanide leaching was being used in Burkina Faso a lot more than some of its neighbors. And since insecurity has increased in Burkina Faso, We're seeing a lot of Burkina Bay migrating more throughout the region. And so this introduction of cyanide leaching 
is increasing in countries like Mali, Ghana, and other places, which is also impacting on supply chains and financial flows with more gold crossing borders, more gold being produced. And so I think that's the most important role we see with foreign nationals, both outside of the region and within the region, is this spreading of of knowledge, technology, financial flows, gold supply chains, that's really resulting in, I think, more consolidated supply chains and more consolidated financial flows that are also enabling criminal actors to better consolidate power, increase profits, and just, I guess, increase control and exploitation of the sector itself. One more question to you, Marcina, before we uh, turn back to Gideon. What about in terms of conflict actors? How are they involved? Do they mine the gold themselves or do they tax the artisanal miners or the movement of gold? We have seen the involvement and I would say abuse or extortion of the sector by conflict actors. Janim in Burkina Faso comes to mind, as well as some actors in northern Mali as well. In some cases, they may be directly involved in the mining and trade of gold. However, what seems to be more often the case is extorting or taxing activity. And so this does seem to be how these groups are able to generate income from the sector. But it's also how they can, I think, exercise control or build legitimacy amongst local populations. Because for example, if they give access to miners or communities to a mine site that the government had previously kept them out of, um, this is a way where they can build community support. In contrast though, what we have seen is that when miners refuse to make payments to these groups, they can become very violent which is what we've seen with uh, massacres in Burkina Faso at some mine sites, which are reportedly linked to the refusal to make these payments. Thank you so much. Gideon, can we talk a bit about the land tenure issue that you mentioned earlier? How much of an issue is corruption to land rights and land access? And how does it fit into the wider things we're discussing today? Corruption serves as a catalyst for criminality within the artisanal and then small-scale gold sector. So we see bureaucratic licensing processes, instead of safeguarding the lives of miners, often become a breeding ground for illicit activities, particularly land grabs that are usually orchestrated by affluent or politically connected individuals. In Ghana, for instance, we also see that the licensing process remains heavily centralized and then it is marred by political influence and then cronyism, which is rendering it inaccessible to many legitimate artisanal and small-scale gold mining operators, which force miners to go into the shadows of illegality, regulatory oversight is absent, and then then providing a haven for individuals with criminal intent to thrive. Moreover, corruption seeps into every stage of the licensing process with officials soliciting unofficial payments from miners in exchange for expediting approvals. We see chiefs, despite lacking legal authority, also use their positions by extorting exorbitant sums from small-scale miners and whoever may come in, whether 
they are required by law to be involved in small-scale mining or not. And then so this further exacerbates the entanglement of issues around corruption and criminality within the industry. This exploitation not only perpetuates inequality, but also undermines the rule of law, also fostering an environment that is ripe of illicit activities. Great. Thank you, uh, Gideon. Marcena, let's talk regional security, which is a real issue and concern in West Africa, right? But intriguingly, your research has also found that actually the artisanal and small-scale mining sector actually plays a stabilizing role for people who are either internally displaced or are looking for alternatives to crime. Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah, I think this is a really important point because often when we talk about the gold sector, it is highlighting conflict financing or criminality or corruption. But actually, it's a really important source of livelihoods. And especially with climate change, putting pressure on traditional livelihoods like agriculture or livestock and transhumance, the mining sector really is an economic safety net for really large portions of the population. And so when we're looking at the role of the gold sector in conflict and fragility, what we'd like to see is more, actually more support and greater efforts to professionalize or formalize the sector so that it can be a safer, more secure source of livelihoods and income for these large populations who are very vulnerable. And so I don't think it can be overstated how important the gold sector can be given the proper support from governments and others to really help it reach its full development potential. That's a really interesting perspective. Thanks, Marcena. Gideon, Marcena talk about the fact that there have been discussions about the prospect of formalizing the artisanal and small-scale gold mining sector. Do you think that would be a positive solution? And if so, can you tell us why? Yes, as Masina indicated, we feel that um, formalizing the small-scale mining is a way to go. When you talk about formalizing, what comes to mind? It is a process that not only includes putting in rules to regulate the artisanal and small-scale gold mining sector, but also putting in efforts to integrate it into a more formal economy and society. So formalization is a way to go because um, there are many positives around that. Formalization is going to improve regulatory oversight, thereby minimizing the many negative things that we see. So as indicated by Masina, there are increased use of chemicals in mining areas, which is heightening the risks of miners, which is also contaminating land. It is contaminating rivers. It is contaminating um, agricultural products. And then because the mining has not been formalized, miners are working in places whereby there is no supervision. So these chemicals are being used in a way and manner that is also harmful. What we also see is that um, when there is improved oversight or when there is formalization, for instance, the tensions that we see between artisanal and small-scale gold mining actors with um, surrounding communities is also going to be minimized. We also think that um, formalization is also going to improve issues around health, safety, security, and environment. And then um, the lack of access to funds that miners and then traders do have when the sectors are formalized. Banks and then the financial sector will have more confidence in working with these miners, which currently within the region is a challenge. It is going to contribute to improving um, domestic revenue generation within the West Africa sub-region. 
Thank you, Gideon. That sort of gives a very complete overview of why it makes sense to formalize the sector. Marcin, a last question. How could governments and states remove criminality from the gold mining sector? Formalizing isn't just about bringing in laws or enforcement. It's also about supporting those in the sector and enabling them to meet these requirements and support them to adopt better practices. I think Gideon's covered a lot of this. Just some important points are land rights are a big issue. And for the ASGM sector to be successful, miners need to have access to land and they need to have access to mineral rights, security of mineral rights, these sort of things which have domino effects around finance, access to finances, secure supply chains. We don't see enough of a gender perspective in these formalization or professionalization efforts. And so that's something that I think we can encourage governments and other stakeholders in the sector to do to a greater degree, because when not well tailored, it can actually have negative impacts on women in some cases. Then beyond just professionalizing and supporting the sector, when we are looking at enforcement, and this goes to corruption and the power of criminal actors, targeting the mine sites can be harmful in some cases, but it's also ineffective. And so doing a better job of targeting pinch points or bottlenecks or the more powerful actors in these supply chains is really what we should be looking at. So looking at transit locations, bigger dealers or traders, where gold is going, where those financial flows are going, beneficial ownership of corporations and other businesses is something that we would, I think, like to see a bit more investment and encourage more of when we're actually looking at like a law enforcement response to criminality in the sector. Great. Thank you so much for that. Special thank you to Gideon and Marcena for being part of the discussion, but thank you also for joining us for this episode of The Index. Now, in the podcast notes, you'll find a link to Gideon and Marcena's paper, Learnings from West Africa's Regional Experiences in the Gold Sector. There will also be links to all of the country profiles from the OC Index discussed in this episode. Remember that the Global Organized Crime Index is a totally free resource and it's available to everyone. Just head over to ocindex.net. We'll be back with another episode of the Index soon. I'm Thin Lewin. Thanks for listening.